Hi, I'm Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company and he's Luke Morris and he... I'm coming to Canberra soon. Come see me in Canberra. And together we are Luke's Talk Wine, talking all things wine and booze and popular culture. Think, think when to drink, why we drink it and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. And hello to the listening audience uh, in the wide world of wine, wherever we're coming to you at whatever time of the day we are coming, we thank you. Luke Morris, what's been happening? Oh, um, oh yeah, I mentioned Canberra. I've, 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 those listeners to the last episode will know I'm coming up to do uh, Sydney Fringe Festival with the Wine Science Show. And... Um, I was talking to a friend, so we're bashing out a um, uh, a trial show in Canberra. Um, like I think it's August, Wednesday the twenty third at Smith's Alternative, and uh, fifteen dollar tickets to come see me because um, it will be good and educational and a little bit rusty. So uh, fifteen dollars <laughs> is all it's going to cost you to come out and have a have a laugh and a and a, and a chat. Um, uh, but I'll, I'll sort that out for social media. They're, they're social. Either come to Fifth to, to Smiths, look up Fifth Smiths if you live in Canberra. But um, I'll tell you what else I've been doing just today. Alagote. Alagot. How do you say it? How do you say it? Spelt Alagot, pronounced Alagote, the only yeah. uh, one of the three living varieties that are permitted in White Burgundy. Um, that includes Chardonnay. Alagote is one of the other two that are legally permitted. Don't leave us on tender hooks, Campbell. What's the third one? <laughs> the third one is Pinot Blanc. And the yeah. only producer of Pinot Blanc um, in, in Burgundy is none other than Henri Gouge. Uh, a lot of people produce Alagote, though, however. Alagote is closely related to Chardonnay. Yeah. Yes, I'm aware of it. Ah, yeah, my question for you. I was doing some research on Alagote because um, <laughs> I uh, oh, there's there's a there's, I'm, I'm trying to there's some some new stock uh, at work of Alagote, and I was thought, what is I knew a little bit about the wine and stuff, but I haven't had access to tasting a bottle, so I looked up some tasting notes um, from people who have tasted it at work, and they're like polar opposite reviews and mm -hmm. i was trying to figure out like there's a, there's probably a chance that someone's put the wrong review next to the wrong line kind of thing yes um i was trying to deduce without leading the witness what do you think cam what would you what what would classically be elegato would, would is it is it very much like chardonnay in your mind or is it is it Al uh, yeah, Alagote is a medium dry white with a um, kind of uh, more nuttier slash wheat germy texture to it than the floral and orchard fruit notes that you might get out of Chardonnay. You do get hints of fruit, but they're way more subtle and the finish is a lot shorter than what Chardonnay is. It grows like Chardonnay. It uh, can be it's versatile like Chardonnay, i.e., you can oak age it, you can put it through malo, you can ferment it in stainless steel, but its palate is somewhat thinner and shorter than Chardonnay. Chardonnay yeah. would be considered its big brother. Yes, well, interestingly, I, I guess the, the the comparisons that I was trying to figure out the differences were whether whether or not it was big and rich like the Chardonnay, which is what mm -hmm. one reviewer was saying. Or whether or not it was more lighter in a Chablis mould, but made in Burgundy, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it um, it's probably a bit more of the latter. Like yeah. if you put it through Malo, you can um, you can get it richer, sure, but you'll never get that kind of you know uh, cut orchard fruit, nectar, and apricot, peach, white peach thing going on that you do from Chardonnay. It'll just be a you know, uh, uh, smattering's not the right word, but just a, a subtle hint of peach or something like that. Like, you won't get it full-blown. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I mean, that's what I was expecting. I was just thrown a little curveball. But speaking of um, 
uh, oh, even Alagotte, I think, mm. uh, and mm-hmm. Chardonnay, and lovers of uh, Burgundy grape varietals. You yep. had a dinner with Chris Catlow recently. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I, I did, actually, and very much so. We, we had a good look at his Alagotte. In fact, it was one of the wines of the night. Um, it was part of our inspiration series where we get a winemaker and taste all of their current release wines against some of their influence uh, influences or what influence. So it's like this is your life for winemakers, and it was great <laughs> fun. We had we did have Chris Catlow in. Uh, we looked at his Alagote. I wasn't aware that Chris made an Alagote, but I was dumbfounded. It was like I said, we, we sold a truckload of his twenty one Alagote. It really looked good. It was the first wine of the night. Um, we also looked at his Beechworth Shard from 21. We we put that up against Benjamin LaRue Merceau, which is he worked for Ben, did seven or eight vintages for Ben in Burgundy in Bone. So um, we looked at that, which was good, and he told us some of the techniques. Chris discussed some of the techniques with us that he found um, from Ben and what he employs himself. We looked at his Gamay. We looked at a couple of Nebbiolos of his. His Gamay, incidentally, comes out of the King Valley, which was utterly delicious. He's planted some in Beechworth, and we'll start to see that coming out in the next Ooh. couple of years. And then we tried his actual company Nebbiolo from 2018, and we oh, put yeah. that up against a Brezza DOCG from Piedmont. He also worked at Brezza in Barolo um, a few vintages ago. And so that was nice to look at a new world example of Nebbiolo versus the big kahunas of Barolo. Uh, it was a great dinner. Thank you for asking. Chris sends his regards. He said to say hello. Oh, nice. Um, he was talking okay. about the podcast, actually, and he, and he said, oh, I've been on that podcast. And I said, yeah, you often get a mention. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but he said to say hello. That's nice. Thank you. Uh, hi, Chris, mm. if you listen. Um, the I was going to ask, what, what are the big differences between Nebbiolo from uh, here and yonder. What? What? How did the, oh, how the, did the two compare? Yeah, no, they, they compared really well. The, the Nebbiolos from the New World generally tend to touch uh, touch more astringent. Like very, the tannins are really still quite prickly, and the fruit, as you would expect, is just all up front. You know, grown in a warmer climate. Chris believes um, Beechworth will outstrip the Adelaide Hills and the McLaren Vale as being Australia's best Nebbiolo region within the next decade, which was kind of a, a, a big call. But oh, I'm, I'm, I'll he, back he, him now. I, I couldn't. I don't think Nebbiolo in, in McLaren Vale is is its happy home. That doesn't he, sit, that doesn't sit right for me. I don't think I don't really think Adelaide Hills really sit, seems to sit for me either. Well, he, he did substantiate it. He did back up those claims really, really well. And so, yeah, I must admit, I, it forced me to kind of re- rethink a few things as well. Um, and more, more power to him. So he's planted it along with a few other guys. Obviously, you know, um, Rick Kinsborough, G. has already got it. Um, there's a couple other smatterings of plantings up there. And now Chris at Sentio Wines has also planted it, which is good. But mate, thank you. Yeah, thank you for asking. The dinner was very, very well. As you know, we have a whole host of dinners going on at Vinify, but that was a special one for sure. That's excellent. And I've got a question for you. This will be a really quick question. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm barraging your questions today. You are. We haven't even got to the topics for today, but I'm no, loving it. No. Um, we we might have to edit this part out. Inexplicable happiness. Do you remember our wine label that we never made? I do, I do remember. Um, a lot. It's along with a lot of um, great ideas we've had in the podcast that we need to act on. But I do remember inexplicable happiness. Yes. Do you reckon Chris Catlow has a barrel of wine floating around? He would sell us. Ooh, gee, do I reckon he does? I don't know, but we could certainly ask. I know after the last two vintages, things have been a bit lean in Beechworth. We could certainly ask. Oh, that's true, isn't it? Well, I think for, mm. for long-time listeners, I'll, I'll leave this. I won't cut this part out of the podcast. This is going to be a little bit of a um, a treat for long-time lis- listeners. Uh, yep. we, we haven't forgotten our wine label. <laughs> no, we haven't forgotten a, our wine label. What a stupid idea. We were never going to make the wines ourselves. I don't think either of us has the time or the um, uh, access to the infrastructure to do it. But I think finding guests 
um, winemakers to, to to purchase a label from who we, who we respect would be good. And I think if Chris has got a barrel of something good that we could get behind, I'd, I'd well, 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 we can at least ask and see see where questions go. It never never hurts to ask some, a, a question that is of benefit to people. No, absolutely not. No, absolutely. Speaking about benefit to people. It can be really hard to justify opening a bottle of wine from the cellar on a Tuesday night when all you want is one glass. And that's why we've started Unbottled Wines. We're delivering seasonally curated, ultra-premium wines from acclaimed Australian winemakers. These are wines that have never before seen the inside of a box, and may never again. Why a box? Because the box keeps wine fresh for up to 40 days after it's opened, unlike the bottle, which goes off after three or four. So if you would like to be able to drink exceptional wine one glass at a time, check out Unbottled Wines. Use the code VINIFIED at checkout and save 10%. People are tuning in, listeners are tuning in. Thank you for tuning in. And they are wanting to know what's going on this week. Well, we've got two topics going on this week, Luke Morris. Um, The first one is Top Cell Doors. I want to talk to you. This is something we haven't covered on the show in past, but I want to talk to you about top cellar door experiences i think people you know people are getting out there getting amongst things they are just they're, they're they're happy to be sticking close by home but they are getting out and about to wine regions more recently i am getting lots of requests we're, we're going here we're going there we're going to be in the Adelaide hills we're going to macedon who do we see where do we go luke morris i want to pick your brains about some of the better cellar door experience over your journey that you've had um so we'll touch on that a little bit later but also first up is um i was bemused this this week actually as hollywood announced this year's inductees of the hollywood walk of fame and it got me thinking i was like who are these numpties and where have they actually (laughs) performed and what have they given us and I got to thinking, if the Australian wine industry had a walk of fame, so if it was the... The stagger know, of fame would probably Yeah, the, the, the stagger of fame it would probably be. Who would feature and what would be our top five inductees? So today, this afternoon, uh, I want to talk to you about the top five inductees to the stagger walk of fame. Uh, because I think, you know, present company excluded, there's been a lot of people come before us that have really contributed bucket loads to our system in the very industry we call home. So I wanted to pick your brain about that. And if people wanted to get if people wanted to get a hold of us and get involved in the show, we didn't receive any questions this week, but we've got some fun-filled answers for you all the same. If people want to get involved in the show, they want to send us a question, how do they get involved, Luke Morris? Uh, you get a very sharp sort of blade and a rock, maybe one that's been by the sea, so you, you've got a bit of a smooth so, um, side to it, and you can etch into the rock like a carving of a question and then just fling it um, in a general direction and uh, hopefully it will eventually uh, bounce its way to our door. Or you could type into your email address, uh, lukestalkwine at gmail.com and send us an electronic post bag mail. I like it. You got two options. Yeah, good options. Or, 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 you, or you can get onto Instagram and Luke's talk one on Instagram. That's, you could also do that. Just send a direct yeah. message there. Why not? Go Slide on. into the DMs. Absolutely. Um. All right. So the Stagger Walk of Fame. I'm going to kick it off. Okay. So yeah. Start there. James Halliday. He's an Order of Australia. You know, he's he's a he's probably still the doyen of Australian winemakers, albeit aging. But you know whether he's whether it's his books or his magazines, let alone his insistence on planting great vineyards, whether it be Brokenwood in the Hunter or whether it be Coldstream Hills, his home still today in the Yarra. Uh, I think no one could argue that he's been fairly instrumental in what he's been building Australia's wine industry. Agree? Disagree? 
Uh, I'd agree. I I think he's got a very unusual place in Australian um, uh, history because he's he's done so much, but I'm sure there's plenty of people that would think he um, his impact has had some negativity as well. Uh, yeah. And he I, – I, I don't, I've never met him. I don't know how really um, giving or friendly he is or whether or not he has a bit of a um, – uh, that holier-than-our attitude. Have you met no, him? Do you know what he's I like? have. I've met him a couple of times, more than that, actually. And he's a, he's a esteemed man. He's a gentle giant. He's very given of his knowledge. Uh, he's very softly spoken. Um, yeah, he's a dead-set pioneer. He's a, he's a gentleman. Very good. The, obviously, the negativity I'm talking about is that people, like, it's, it's the, uh, the effect of, holiday points and this mm. and, and this sort of narrowing a little bit of people's wine focus to to his opinion and i didn't know if that might have gone to his head or whether or not he dis, disapproved of that or or how that might have impacted on him his own being and obviously he sold the um the holiday brand the wine companion brand and that has that has had a little bit of an impact in the industry too and yeah, um, but he himself, like I said, yeah, it, it, there can be mixed views on on the on the legacy. But he himself seems to have been all about it for the right reasons, which is good. Mm. Um, do you got one for me? Uh, <laughs> the first name I wrote down was Oberon Cunt. Um, Ooh. and the and the pocket wine book of Oberon Cunt. Um, that. Oh my God! Max Allen was one of the writers of that. Uh, it was it's sort of a piss take uh, wine history book of Australian wine, and I've got a copy somewhere. If if you, <laughs> if, if if you hold two secs, I might be able to find it. I don't know if I will be able to find it, to be honest with you. But um, it's a it's a nonsense little book made by Max Allen and was it, was it Ben oh, Canadier or um, yes I think it was Ben yeah and that just sort of made me think of Max um, yeah and Max is a champ I like Max yeah I love Max too and I think he's had um, a lot of positivity for for Australian wine and um, I'd, I'd put a vote for for Max being he's he's been on telly he was he was one of uh as seen on TVs Max Allen for a while really yeah yeah he was on whenever the like one of those better homes and gardens sort of travel show kind of things and yes. um you know they'd have the 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 dinners and you know you you'd get your uh Max Allen would would supply the the booze and talk about the wine or whiskey or vodka. Yeah, I think he had a little panache for vodka for a little while. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, good man. I'd see him. Um, what, are, what are you putting on the ground? Little, little drops or, or some, some sort of, uh, you know, if you've got your Hollywood stars, have you got your wine vomit marks? What's the... Uh, I, I think it would just be, the you know, the, the, the red rim of the glass, I think, oh, okay. you know, something like that. Is that, okay. is that a bit boring? Boring or, you know, like... Uh, I'm not against it. Yeah, I don't know. But, no, no. But, but Max is a great... Max wrote the very first um, uh, wine book that I ever read, which is called Red or White. Um, he's a lot. He's a long-time Aussie now, but he's been here for almost 30 years as an ex-Englishman. Ex, ex uh, but more so, he's an award-winning journalist. Like, he, he was or still a correspondent for Chances Robinson, but... Um, he oh, more, yeah, most yeah. recently wrote a book called um, 10 Drinks That Shaped Australia Intoxicating. I don't know if you've seen that, but that was a good, great, um, a great read because he wrote stuff like about what the First Nations used to do for fermentation. And and, and then he wrote right up to, you know, KB Lager and things like that. Like it was, um, I, I found it quite, quite uh, enthralling reading, actually. But Max is a great writer. He still writes for the financial review but i've got a lot of time for max as well all right so max allen's yep. in the, the, the stagger walk of fame max, one thing about max just just that you touched on there i like the way he mm. really has a history approach to things too yeah like yeah 
Well, he, he, and I remember this as well, he was given an honorary fellowship to the University of Melbourne because of his approach through history to his writing of wine, mm-hmm. um, which was mega at the time. I remember thinking, gee, they're, they're giving it a fellowship. Not only were they giving it to a wine dude, but it wasn't just for a wine and agriculture. It was for history. So it's a good thing you, you mark there. Um, that it was. For, I remember for me, like when I, that happened when I was studying. That happened years ago, and I remember thinking, "Wow, this is important for the wine industry." So it's a good thing you mentioned that. Yeah. No, I, th- I think I think that's one of the things about the wine industry is the um, the the breadth of things that it can you can put your fingers into the pies. There's lots of little angles. It's not just you know, as we alluded to, holiday points. There's more to it than mm. that. Anyway, your turn. Yep. Go, name a name. Rightio. Um, you set the bar high oh. with Max. Oh, I'm going to go Brian Crozer. Brian. Ah, okay. Brian Crozer's probably had a you know 50 plus year history. You know, when I first started working, you know, he 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 started. Brian started. Petaluma, you know, way back in the 70s. He's all he's since planted down on the Fleury Peninsula and started his own brand and things like that. But I couldn't write a wine list uh, in this country without having a bottle of yellow label Henland Hill Riesling on it. Whatever whatever wine wineries or whatever that Brian was involved in, they were just kind of heralded. That Everything turned to gold. Like if you think Bridgewater Mill, if you think... Um, you know, he's now got Tapanapa. Uh, there is so many wines that he was just kind of a, a, a terroir trendsetter right through that South Australia, Adelaide Hills into the Piccadilly Valley and now beyond into Coonawarra and Rattanbully. Like, well, I remember when he came out with his new brand there, Tapanapa, a decade ago, and he was talking about Rattanbully, which is north of Coonawarra. People had no idea of it, you know, like, and he was like, what is going on here? <laughs> and it's just, it's, I think it's remarkable. He, I mentioned it there earlier, he just has a knack for the right terroir, terroir trendsetter. It's, um, and his ability to craft wines like that Petaluma Tears vineyard, which he's consequently subdivided before he sold, he kept the top part and he sold the bottom part to whoever took over Petaluma. I can't remember now. You know, he, he's been to Cancer of the Year. He's got an order at Australia. Like, he's, I think he, one year he might have won the Viticulturist of the Year from Decanter or any, anyway, like, that's a guru. He was also involved in Brokenwood all those years ago. Uh, but my vote for the Stagger Walk, the Stumble Walk of Fame <laughs> is Brian Crozer. <laughs> that's, that's good. You've made me think a little bit sideways because for some reason I immediately was thinking of, um, writers uh maybe it was because of the hollywood connection and, and famous faces yep. so i i had i had, I wrote down a quick short list of names and included jenny port and jane faulkner and jeremy oliver and hugh and hook but if, yes. we go, if, if we're going down the uh, i even added mark shieldsy shields as a <laughs> as a wine scribe because we get lots of he's probably the person i've read the most from in the, in the last year but yeah. um uh if we're going off not just uh, scribes but um, winemakers, what about wine sellers? Mm-hmm. And the first one that came to mind was actually a distributor, someone like um, Samuel Smith and Son. Or... Oh, yes, yeah, Ro- Ro- Robert Hill Smith. Yep. Absolutely. Well, is um... now is Robert Hill Smith an MW even? Oh. I don't know. I don't know that much about the. the I don't yeah. know that much about Robert Hill Smith. I that I, I would gather that they uh, they're involved. Is that Mesh as well? Why making? Yeah, so mesh? he's involved. He's involved with Mesh with Jeffrey yep. Grosser. He's one half of that. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, but I don't. I just know that they've that's a big influence in distributing wine, getting wine around Australia. Also, uh well, those guys are involved, like they've got their hands in everything, you know, whether it's your lumber or, um, yep. you know, so, so that your lumber is their basically family business. And then they've got, yeah, Samuel Smith and Sons was their 
distributorship for a lot of brands, let alone you know yep. importing, which is negotiations, which is also beyond that. But yeah, I mean their history yes. goes back to the 1800s as far as first fleet type stuff. But Robert Hill Smith, he's had a big influence. Um, so yep, he's definitely on the stumble walk of fame, definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure he's other- an MW. Oh, I'll put this in the notes for the listeners there. I'll put this in the notes because oh, I'm sure he is uh, an MW. I'm, I'm almost sure. Anyway, don't quote me on that, people. So I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> uh, who's the other one? The other one, um, if we're talking about, that's distribution behind the scenes. In front of yes. the scenes, you, you, you'd be hard-pressed to go past the likes of Dan and Philip Murphy. Um, as, and I wonder whether or not you'd, do you – do you really add – because that's become such a brand and they've started to advertise the history of Dan Murphy, yeah. which is like <laughs> not true at all. <laughs> no, it's bollocks. It's absolute bollocks. It's like, I'm, oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm sort of thinking, do we... Where do you call bullshit on it? Like, where oh. do you call bullshit on that? Like, come on. It just needs a big stamp to come across the end of that. Adding a eh, bullshit. <laughs> well, and I, I think that's the sad thing. I think a lot of people think this there's a there's a hist- there's, there has to be some sort of truth to this tale, but there's none. No, not really. Is. I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't. What do you know about Dan Murphy's? Where do you sit on the? Um, would you give any praise to Dan Murphy's and the his and the history or Dan himself or Philip himself? Who, well, um, well, Philip, I I tend to know more people in the industry who came out of the Philip Murphy sales angle and everything you hear about Philip Murphy and how he sold and how he taught people to sell and how he respected the customer um, is, is amazing, actually. So just just people and cohorts that I know, all of them, and it's easy, you know, to, to bag your old boss or, or whatever. <laughs> um, but everybody I know, and I could rattle off, and they'd be people you know as well. At least, you know, seven or eight people who came out of that Philip Murphy sales school, so to speak. And they all, every one of them, speak highly of Philip Murphy. You know, like. Um, but as far as the Dan Murphy story, I, I know very little, um, actually. No, I know mostly that Dan was much more of a, a crude um, salesman in terms of pricing, I think, um, mm. which is how he managed to effectively buy out Philip and, and, and change all the ownerships of the stores. But I I don't know. I, I understood that Philip had you know a bit more um, industry respect. But he just didn't have the same um, business now. So let's call it business now, more so than mm. uh, ability, I guess. But yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's another thing. And Bryce Rankin, I'll, I'll, I'll finish up my list. Uh, Doctor, I think it's Doctor Bryce Rankin made right. the book "Make uh, How to Make Good Wine." It's basically the the, the Bible for winemakers, um, going back to people like uh, I want to say uh, Chester Osborne. Um, but plenty of Chester people Osborne. Meant, Chester plenty, Osborne has to be in there, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Side note, Chester pl- Osborne has to be in there. Plenty of people who went through um, Roseworthy or had some association to winemaking in Adelaide would know. Um, uh, I believe it's how to make good wine or make a good wine. I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was a it was a real bible of um, how to make wine in Australia, and. I used to refer to it back when I did one education courses, you know, many years ago, because it was a book published, I think it was first published in the 70s and then had a reprint in the 80s. And I had a, an old copy of it from the 80s. And, and one of the last entries, references in the back of the book was a was a, a, a note about screw cap closures and how they were superior to cork. And it was only a matter of time before customers start accepting screw cap. And I was like, yeah, so this is the early 2000s. And back in the 80s, they knew screw cap was better. So stop talking to me about cork. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, well, 
Yeah, I like that inclusion. I, I think I, I don't know Dr. Bryce Rankin, but you've inspired me. I'm going to look up um, that book because I think these people have all got a playing. They've all played a hand and got some ties to what our industry is today. Like, and that's what brought me to this conclusion when these pickles were announced in Hollywood's Walk of Fame. I'm like, who are these guys, and what have they contributed? Which brought me to our stumble walk of fame today what have these guys contributed well all of these guys whether it's max allen whether it's james halliday robert hill smith dan and philip murphy chester osborne and dr bryce rankin these guys have all all contributed something but number one on the contributors list i think who we owe a heck of a lot to our australian wine industry is if if, i'll give you a hint len evans Oh, no, I've left Len Evans out. God, have oh, you really? No. Have you oh, really? My God. Oh, my God, I've left Len Evans out. Mr. I'm applying Evans? for the Len Evans scholarship because oh. he's so good in the Australian wine industry. I want to be like Len Evans. You've forgotten about Len Evans. <laughs> well, there is someone. I'm, I'm leaving Len Evans. Uh, Len Evans goes on the Stumblewalk of Fame. If anybody should be on the Stumblewalk of Fame, it should be Len Evans. Okay. Um, James but- Busby. No, I've left James Busby out. He got he got oh, a broad all here, didn't he? Who, who have Actually, you I've put had in? a shocker. <laughs> I've had a shocker. James Busby's got a beard because he brought the stuff here. So he's got to be. <laughs> You're not going to believe it. No, he's, all, all that aside. Uh, Is it me? Are you going to name me? Am I going to I'm going to name Australia's first winemaker, uh, Maurice O'Shea. Oh, okay. So Maurice O'Shea's family came out here after the Great War and we got they put they purchased a sixteen hectare vineyard in um, in Bacolbin in the Hunter and Maurice O'Shea had French heritage and an Irish family, uh, two great principal drinking nations, um, and being familiar <laughs> with you know the the hillside production of the Rhone Valley in France and Shiraz and Syrah. He was convinced he should re- replicate that in the Hunter. He planted Shiraz and he planted Pinot and he proceeded to make medium-bodied table wines, which very much inspired everyone from the Engoves to Penfolds and beyond um, and created some amazing wines, not only the epitomous uh, Maurice Say Shiraz from McWilliams, but later on just became heralded for being Australia's first winemaker and still his tradition under whatever guys it's owned up there in mcwilliams now but uh, it's, it continues today and there's still some amazing wines um but yeah maurice O'Shea basically reimagined um what he was doing in france and and brought it out here what he'd seen in france and then started doing it out here in the hunter valley vineyards and i think that is a most important testament to what the australian industry is because against all odds um, whether it was health or whether it was the hunter, uh, he pushed on to make some have 75 years of history continued today. I think that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Great. That's a fair list. I will put that Stumble Walk of Fame list up in our show notes um, with a little bit of a blurb on that. But uh, thank you for uh, helping me with that list, Luke. No, no problem. I'm here to help. Hmm. How else can we help? What was the next thing? Oh, the cellar doors. The, the, the cellar doors. So every, everyone's getting out, getting amongst it. Um, you know, like, and you, you and I, um, not that we don't visit cellar doors anymore, but we, we, we <laughs> have done. Um, gee, what, what, what are some cellar door experience that you could lean on that you've loved? Do you know what? It's funny you say don't go to cellar doors anymore because I was just scratching my head thinking, when was the last time I went to a cellar door? Gosh, it has been a while, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, uh, what is a cellar door? You start us off. What is a cellar door for, for oh. people who just tuned in? Oh, well, basically, obviously, the cellar is where the uh, wines are his- historically kept. A winery will have a cellar. Um, and the cellar door is like a point of sale point at the winery, uh, usually at the winery. There's a lot of a very long tradition in France to have the um, the farm where you grow the grapes and uh, up somewhere like in, for example, 
the Duo Valley, and then uh, you might even have your, your winemaking equipment up there, and then you actually transport and have the salad down somewhere else, such as Port or, or Porto. Um, and there you um, and that's where people actually go to buy the wine, and, and that's where the wine is stored, and that's where they uh, interact with the wine itself. But in Australia, it's very common um, to have the salad all at the at the vineyard, um, and people go and drive there. And it also seems oh. increasingly common. Oh, did you join that? Often you might, when you get there, you might often get to meet, you know, the, the winemaker or the cellar hand or the dude who's been farming the grapes. Like you get someone in, intrinsically involved. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, that's, yeah. And, and increasingly these days, there's also restaurants attached to them and people talking about the, the salad, cellar door experience is, is not just the uh, go there and taste a, um, a few glasses of wine and, and buy what you like the most. It's the, uh, uh, I'm thinking of Balgowney and Bendigo who have some sort of mm. uh, wine history little display. At least last time I was there, they had a wine history display and uh, for for wine in the region. And um, uh, someone like Matolo, I haven't been there, but I'm told that their restaurant is fantastic. Um, I have been to I have been to Pikes in the Clare Valley. Um, yeah, actually, actually, most of my notes of when you asked about Solidors, then mostly Clare Valley because that was the last place I went to. And Pikes has a brewery attached to them, and that was cool. Oh, hello. I enjoyed that. Um, Paulette's is a beautiful restaurant that overlooks um, uh, the valley um, there. Great great spot if you're looking for somewhere to go. Clare Valley, Paulette's and Pikes. One place I might mention, uh, I did go to Windory, um, AP Burke's Windory, Uh uh, it was actually Chris Catlow who organised a, um, uh, a a meet and greet there, and that was um, that was quite unique because they don't open up, and they didn't do any tastings. But we, the um, I can't remember off the top of my head, Tony, I think is mm-hmm. the owner winemaker there now, and uh, he uh, showed us around the vineyard and and the winemaking equipment, and it was all very old school stuff, and it was great. Um, and the last thing, the last one I'll mention might be Paradigm Hills. I went to Paradigm Hills a few Ooh. years ago, and they had a um, uh, a great cellar door, and, and they're very keen on the education and explaining, you know, the different parts of their vineyards and and grapes. And um, I I enjoyed that as an experience because, like you said, you get to meet people who can answer all the questions you want to ask about wine or they don't need to, but they're there, so you can just enjoy yeah. the wine, or enjoy the enjoy the environment, or enjoy picking their brains. But yeah, Par- Paradigm Hill was definitely on my list. One of the best Celador experience I've ever happened ever had in this country was actually at Paradigm Hill. I couldn't agree more. Yep. And I, I went there with with an open mind, and both George and Ruth were there. George was, you know, sh- showing me maps of the vineyard and where them. <laughs> parts of his yield were better and and for and for worse and just talking to me about why he planted Pinot Gris and he wanted more Riesling and you know and how he divided up it was so interesting and then Ruth came out and she she cooked something you know beautiful off the barbie and we just had that with a couple of tastes and all around it was just a beautiful Mornington Peninsula you know the salt was in the air and you could just you know everything was lush and green it was just particularly spectacular and i remember it was only a small cellar door so it doesn't have to be a big grandiose castle type show um it was just really it, it just it's inspiring is the word yeah. uh, I, I really loved it oh. you know like um a, a cellar door for me that had a massive impact on me uh is none other than thomas wines in the hunter valley uh tomo Friends of the show will know he's a great Semyon and Shiraz producer up there, and he was he was ex Tyrrells. His father had a winery in McLaren Vale, still does. Um, but he is devoted to single site Shiraz and Chardonnay, and and his tasting some of his wines. Firstly, when he didn't have a cellar door, you went to what was called the small winemakers centre. 
small winemaker centre, which is still there in Picolban, actually. And you could just taste a few of his wines. But then a few years later, he opened up this cellar door, not a very big show, um, just with a tasting bench. But you went in there and there were photos, not of the vines and not of the wines, but of the soils, the different patches of gravelly was it like river a cross beds. Section or? Yeah. So there were, there were photos of the soil. And then so you could see on the walls, you know, this is where the Braymore Semillon was grown or this is where the LNA Shiraz was grown. But then you went and tasted it and he had these big glass vases which were filled with the soil where you saw the cross-section and how the vine would have to struggle to get down there. And just <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm a visual guy, so I was like, wow, okay, this is really putting in to perspective about, you know, the semions grown in the sand and the alluvial soils and the Shiraz is grown on the more red volcanic soils. And you got a picture of where the flavours were coming from. Um, yeah, I just really, not that I struggled, you know, but I remember when going to Burgundy for the first time and just literally kicking over some of the soils in the, the vineyards and smelling them. Well, it was like this. It was, that's what it was like in the Hunter at Thomas Wines. Uh, uh, you just got a real sense of the the heartache and effort that goes into it. <laughs> yeah, it can I be heartache it, at times. I think it sets people, you know, on their journey. It certainly did for me. Uh, have you got another one for me? What did, oh, no, what did you have? You had Paulettes, Pikes. Pikes, Paulettes. Paulettes. I've been told Matilo is very good for a wine and dine. Um, yeah, I can tell you what's the one of the oddest ones would be. Um, <laughs> I love an odd one. <laughs> oh, Dianberg's big cube. Oh, the cube. I haven't been. Have you been? I've been to the cube. Mm-hmm. It's for me. It's it just it's it's. I don't like it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just silly. Why? Well, it looks. It does look like a Rubik's cube plunked on you know on a hill um and it's it, you go inside of it and there's all these passages and it's twisting and turning and i just didn't it, it, it it's supposed to be an experience but it was just confusing <laughs> and i was just like i don't really know what the point of this is it's not really it's got a lot of quirky things in there and oddities and i can sort of appreciate it as like a uh, an attempt at um it's almost an attempt at a, a mona you know and, and from tasmania the museum of modern art kind of thing yeah. in, in um Vale, but it just doesn't it doesn't hit that it, it i just i don't know who the designer was i can tell you a story about it if anybody's been there <laughs> this is this this i think sums it up for me there's yeah, go. um you go to the top level of the cube, so there's, I think there's three or it might be four, four levels maybe. You go to the top right. level, that's where the, the um, most of the tasting bench is. And so you go up there and you do your tasting. And there's like a glass ceiling to it. And it's supposed right. to be so you can, like, that's natural light and you've got, you know, this beautiful thing. Except it wasn't well enough thought through because a glass ceiling just intensifies sunlight and so they had people just burning and baking and the top floor of the of the the of the um of the cube and so they had to add umbrellas uh, above it and so you've got this sort of cube with all these um like cocktail umbrellas on top and it's just it's just an odd thing. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's not my jam, but it is, yep. it is, it is an experience because I'm telling you a story. That's an experience. <laughs> it is an experience. Yeah. yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure somebody out there loves it. I, I assume the Osbournes love it because they built it. But, um, <laughs> well, I've not been, and I have heard, um, I've not been personally. So yeah, I can't, past judgment but i think anything that what have you heard tourists... as other people told you it's, it's just weird <laughs> no I, I 
I haven't heard, uh, for better or for worse, I haven't heard a lot about the queue. But I think anything that brings, you know, um, visitors to the area has got to be good. Oh, yeah. Um, another immersive and not exactly cellar door experience, it was more a winery experience I had, uh, was at, <clears throat> it was a weekend actually, one weekend uh, foot stomping grapes at Mac Forbes Winery up in the Yarra Valley on the Cooey Road there. Every month Mac has a open day of a Saturday, uh, particularly in the lead up, uh, sorry, post harvest. You can go and see what they're up to and see what's happening in the winery. You don't have to be a member, you can just roll up. Uh, make an appointment via his website. But in some cases there, you can actually get in the vats, um, particularly around harvest time, and start stomping grapes. And again, it was another one of these immersive experiences that really brought back to how we're dealing with agriculture. And although, you know, some people out there might hold this yeah, juice up on the holy grail of sense and sensibilities but basically if you strip it back it's farming and it's agriculture and yeah. Mac's all about that and he's all about representing the soils and representing the sense of place and the big thing when I got in the vat of uh, first um, uh, Pinot Noir I think it was at first just the sheer aroma but beyond that the time it took to break down these individual berries before we could even start the fermentation it was pretty amazing and the effort that goes into it. And that kind of immersive experience is the stuff when you go to cellar doors and you meet these winemakers, it's second to none. I, I reckon you need to get out there, get amongst those cellar doors and support, support the domestic producers, you know, whether it's the Hunter Valley or the Clare Valley or the Mornings Peninsula, wherever, Macedon even, the Macedon Rangers, Yarra Valley, wherever. Get out there, honestly. Yeah. Get amongst yeah. it. Speaking of that stuff, um, I tell you, somebody does it well. Uh, oh, they don't do it to that same extent. You're not going to jump inside them on their vats. But Wild Duck Creek, if you get on their mail list, um, they think it's it might be Easter weekend. It might be one is at least one weekend a year is the only weekend they're open, and they do that as a um, real celebration sort of thing. Um, and it's it's really nice to go out there. Um, you get to taste a whole bunch of their wines. They usually sell out pretty quickly. So jump on their mail list and uh, if you buy some wine from them, you get an invite to to their tasting weekend effectively. And um, It is, and it's, it's, a big, it's a big weekend. They taste all their new release wines. It happens in the middle of the year, actually. Um, and, yeah, if you're on the mailing list, you get an invite, exactly. And, they, you know, they, they'll have a couple of food trucks out there or a band or something. There'll be plenty going on. Yeah, if you're on the mailing list, you can get involved. Um, it is a great experience because they are only open literally one weekend a year. What have you been drinking? Actually, I know what you've been drinking. You've been drinking Aligoto. No, I haven't tasted any Aligoto. Oh, um, not yet. Bummer. No, no, no. I, don't, I haven't got access to that bottle. That's why I'm trying to do some research as to... Um, how to recommend it to people because I want to recommend it. It looks really good. It's got a great yeah. write-up to it, but um, I haven't got access to it. And what I did get access to yesterday, so mm-hmm. I, uh, I, apart from doing my own shows, I did a, um, an event in um, an area called Drysdale on the weekend, Saturday mm-hmm. night. Went really well. Um, training for marathons. Had a long run Sunday morning, and then um, uh, had uh, an bottle of 2016 brick kiln sparking shiraz with some friends as a bit of a, a celebration of uh a, a, it was a little tour i organized and, and that had finished up and then we had um what did we have oh well, we actually had some pinot blanc from the alsace with some cheese lovely and a 2002 um Pondalari cabernet malbec with some slow cooked lamb and oh. that was uh there was a few of us. It wasn't all. I was. I wasn't drinking all those myself. There was, there was about five of us there. So, you know, yeah. But it was very enjoyable. Uh, that that was that was Sunday evening, and yeah, uh, it's Monday. I'm feeling a little bit dusty. <laughs> the uh, the so one of the, one of the people asked me. Um, uh, they had a they had a Grange that was like a 2010 or something like that. And they were like, "Do you think this will age? Do you think it's do you think it's past its best? Do you think it will age for a bit longer?" 
And I was like, we're about to drink in 2002. And you can, you can then see how a wine ages. And gosh, that 2002 Ponlaoi Cab Malbec. Beautiful. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. 20, what's that? 21 years at least in bottle. Or 20, uh, 20 years at least in bottle. Yum. Yeah. Uh, wine can age. And when it does, it's worth the wait. How about you? What have you been sucking on? I've been sucking on none other than uh, Stefano Lubiano's Primavera Pinot Noir, an all-organic number, just a pretty Pinot from Tassie. Musks and fresh herbs mingle with cherries and strawberries. And it was just light and silky. I just had it on its own with a smile, actually. Lukey was um, – <laughs> I plucked it out of the cellar and I thought it was – so I, I bought some in actually off our recent offer. The offer's probably still on our site, actually, the Virtue of Pinot, where we sold some of the Pooley Pinot Noir and also some of Steve Lubiano's Primavera, two great value wines. But this was just, just so detailed and pretty. It was back to that old school, almost refreshing Pinot, which I love. Um, you know, and it's got to come with this Christmas five spice kind of note about it, which is really appealing for me. But nothing out of the ordinary, like it's not shows dropping as Grange, but um, it was equally delicious, albeit. No, 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 no. Well, that's it. You reckon you've got that on site at Vinified? Yeah, that's if, on the site at Vinified. Yeah, there's there's a link to all those on via uh, Instagram. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's a more helpful way we can direct people to that kind of stuff, but what, what I'll do is I'll put you just type Vinified in the yeah go on. You do absolutely. I'll put a link in the show notes if anyone's interested in that Pinot, and um, we can we can punch on from there. Cool. But uh, that brings us to the end of this week's episode, Luke's Talk Wine, season four, season six. He's been Luke Morris. You can find him out there on the interweb and support his shows, get up to Canberra. Um, I've oh, yeah, if anybody Luke... wants to travel to Canberra to see me, I will uh, give you free entry. Just just, just show me the... Um, the Petrol receipt. Petrol receipt or something. <laughs> no, now I'm, now I'm hoping that somebody living in Canberra is just going to fill up their car and then get a free show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but uh, he's been Luke Morris. I've been Luke Campbell. You can find me at vinified underscore wine underscore services. You can look up vinified.com.au and see what I do for a real job. But it's been swell. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends, share the podcast, do what they do in the wide world web. And in the words of the now famous Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Would you like to be smarter and do good in the world? Luke Morris here. I sold out shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival with the Wine Science Show. And now that show is in book form. It's only $15 and 100% of profits go to charity. So donate and learn and laugh with the Wine Science Show book. Go to lukemorrisha.com.au or follow the link in the Luke's Talk Wine Instagram bio.